0: Well, that's an encouraging start. Thank you. Um, When I was in college, sitting where you are, one of the most exciting days of my life was the day that my girlfriend invited me to come home to her home and meet her parents. You know, that's kind of a big sign that something important is happening. I grew up in Kansas City, which is a big city about the size of Indianapolis, and my girlfriend lived in a small town in western Kansas, My dad was a medical doctor, her father was a rancher, and the first time that I came to meet her parents, her dad said, I want you, Keith, to help me move some cattle. Now, I had never moved any cattle before, but, but he told me that in western Kansas, the farms are very big, and he said it's seven miles from one pasture to the one where we need to move the cows, this is a true story. He gave me a whip and he said, I want you to follow these hundred cows and crack the whip, keep them on course, and I'll follow along behind in a pickup truck. Now that sounds kind of fluky to start with. Anyway, I tried to look as brave and strong as I could so I could impress my future father-in-law. One cow started running off to the side, so I cracked the whip and ran after that cow just as bravely and strong as I could. And the cow ran into a yield right-of-way sign cracked her neck, fell upside down in the ditch in kind of a praise and worship position, and the cow died in the ditch. So I had come to marry his daughter, and I killed his cow. (laughs) Have you ever ever been in a situation kind of like that where you didn't know exactly what to do next? I really kind of wanted to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage, And here I was standing by the ditch and by this dead cow, and it just was not a good time to bring up a subject like that. I think Peter in the Gospels must have had a multitude of times when he felt like, boy, I don't know what to do to get out of this mess. Like the time when he cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, and Jesus rebuked him, said, you know, we don't do that. I don't know for sure what Jesus said, but He said, we don't cut off people's ears. I'm paraphrasing this, of course. Another time, Peter was on the mountaintop, and Elijah and Moses came down to talk with Jesus. And Peter said, let's let's build some beautiful buildings here. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you know, this isn't the time to do that. Peter just kept getting himself into situations where it seemed like there really wasn't a good answer that could be given. Peter tried to walk on the water, and he sank. And then Peter followed Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. And a little girl came and said, you were with him, weren't you? And he said, no, I wasn't. a little later, someone else came and said, I'm sure I saw you with him. And Peter said, no, you're wrong. And then the third time somebody came, Peter got really angry and upset. He swore and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. It just seems like continually Peter got himself into difficulties that seemed like they had no solution. Our scripture today from John chapter 21, verse 15, is following this, and I want to just read it to you briefly here. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep, or take care of my people." All Bible scholars say that Jesus was restoring Peter. Three times he asked him this question, do you love me? Three times Peter gave a response, parallel to the three times that Peter had denied Jesus. Do you love me, and do you love me more than these? Now, there's no clear reference to what these refers to. The Greek is unclear as to what this could be. So I want to suggest a few things that might be relevant to us. One of them is that uh, Peter had just gone fishing, and so it's very possible, and some scholars take this option, it's very possible Jesus was looking at the boats and the nets, and he was saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love your previous occupation. You remember I called you by this same seashore. I said, will you follow me and be a fisher of men? And now after the crucifixion, you've gone fishing. Is it possible Peter was becoming discouraged, wondering if this discipleship thing was really going to work out well for him, wondering if he would be hunted down and crucified like Jesus had been. And he was looking for a safer route And Jesus said, do you want to love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your previous occupation or your job? Now, I want to make this really personal. This question encountered me several times when I was a college student. One time, I was trying to decide what my vocation would be. I had a different major other than ministry. I won't identify what that was but God spoke to me during a time of prayer and fasting and said, I want you to study for the ministry. And it was a question, do you love me more than the plans you have for your life? And I knew I had to give up those other plans and follow Jesus where he wanted me to go. Another time in graduate school, I found a way that I could make extra money by painting, not not pictures, but houses. And I was painting some houses for rich people in Kansas City, even painting some at the headquarters of the Hallmark Channel, you know, the Hallmark movies and One Calls the Heart and all that stuff. But had some pretty good jobs painting. And again, God spoke to me, do you love me more than this extra income? I knew that God wanted me to give up that extra income and give my full time to the work that he called me to. And then later on, when I graduated from seminary, I was offered one job at a large church with a big salary, another job at a small church with a small salary, and I knew God was speaking to me and saying, do you love me more than the big church and the big salary? Do you love me more than these? I knew he was leading me to that smaller church with a smaller salary. Now, I don't want to give the impression that uh, God only calls people to ministry. My father was called to be a medical doctor while he was a student at a Christian college in Indiana. And God used him in amazing ways in that profession. He gave approximately half of his income to missions throughout his lifetime. He provided free medical care for poor people. He filled up his car twice every Sunday with neglected and underprivileged children and took them to church. God used him in the vocation that he'd called him to, and God will use you in business, finance, teaching, whatever, whatever vocation he calls you to, if you answer the question, do you love me more than the vocational plans that you may have? The second application I want to make from this scripture is one that's not directly taken from the text, but I think it's one that Jesus would ask us today. And that question is, do you love me more than you love your entertainment? You know, we used to have most of our time given to our jobs, and then the second tier of time given to relationships with family and friends, and a little bit of time left over for entertainment. Today, categories two and three have been switched. Most people in our culture give lots of time to entertainment. They're on their phones. They're on the the internet. They're watching movies and television 20, 30, 40 hours a week. I was sitting in church the other Sunday at Lakeview, and the lady right down the pew from me took out her tablet, and she was trying to buy a dog in the middle of the sermon. I thought, you know, what, what is going on? And maybe another related question would be, what was I doing watching her trying to buy a dog in the middle of the sermon? But entertainment takes up so much of our time. One of my students, I asked him what he did over spring break, and he said, I watched 45 movies. That's a lot of movies to watch on Netflix. When my daughter was seven and a half years old, she's older than that now, of course. But when she was seven and a half years old, the neighbors invited her over to watch a movie And as the movie progressed, and she was watching with her little friend and and the friend's parents, she realized that it wasn't a constructive movie. It showed partial nudity and and sex outside of marriage. And my little seven-year-old daughter, realizing this wasn't a very good idea, looked at the parents of her little friend, and she pointed her finger at them and said, you're letting yourself be entertained by sin. (laughs) Not very tactful. But I think it's probably descriptive of what a lot of us are doing. We're letting ourselves be entertained by things that are not glorifying to God. The scripture says, whatever things are honest, true, lovely, of good report, think on these things, and we can't really think on those things if we fill our minds with things that are contrary to God's ideals and what we know to be best. The research is pretty clear on this. We know more about children and teens than we do about adults, but we know that watching violence creates aggression and violence in kids. We know that watching sexual content creates more interest and activity in this area for children and teens. One thing that may surprise you, and maybe you're aware of it, is that adults are influenced as well, not in the same ways but their attitudes are influenced. Let me give you an example. Research shows that adults who watch a lot of violence are more likely to be angry with their spouses. I know we could argue which is the cause and which is the effect, but it seems there's a subtle difference that takes place. We don't change our whole code of behavior, but we begin treating people in a different way when our entertainment doesn't glorify God. We begin treating people with less respect. We don't treat them with dignity and with kindness. We see them a little differently and gradually we begin to treat them with less and less respect because our entertainment is not something that we can say we love God more than we love this entertainment. So I want to challenge you to seriously take stock of the entertainment that you watch and make sure that you're not being entertained by sin. There's a third application I want to make from this scripture today and that's directly in reference to Peter's difficulties that he had had. You know Peter didn't get his life all together all at once and I think that should encourage a lot of us to realize that sometimes God builds our lives brick by brick, step by step, stone by stone. Peter and his epistles says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. He says, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge kindness. And he says, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Peter knew what it was like to be kept by God, even when he failed and failed miserably. And as Peter confronts Jesus in John 21 I can just imagine as he looks into the fire that Jesus has built, that he's really thinking of another fire he was looking into a few days earlier and realizing that when he looked into that fire, he denied the Lord. He's thinking about his sin and about Christ's effort to forgive him. And in the same chapter, verse 17, it says Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Peter is being asked by Christ, give up this, this rebellion, give up this fear, whatever it was that caused you to deny me, come back to me, reaffirm your faith. You can do something important in your lives. And I think God is saying that same thing to many of you today and to all of us to an extent. Do you love me more than you love your sin? What are the common sins of our culture and of our age group in particular? As I was thinking of that today, I thought about a student I had, actually two students a few years ago, a boyfriend and girlfriend, maybe fiancés, I'm not sure, but they sat together in class. They turned in two research papers. The first part of the research papers was quite, were quite different, and I thought, these look like good papers. But As I began to read the guy's paper, I found this really interesting sentence. There was a sentence in the middle of this paper that said, I have enjoyed serving as an RA in the women's dorm at Indiana Westland. I thought, hmm, I don't think something is quite right here. I don't believe this really took place. So I laid the paper side by side, and after the first few sentences, they were identical papers. They'd hand in the same paper. So I called the guy on the phone, and I said, "Um, have you ever been an RA at Indiana Wesleyan? I didn't really say, have you been an RA in the girls dorm, or women's dorm? And he said, no, but I've really wanted to be. And then I explained to him what I found in his paper, and he confessed that he had copied. This dishonesty is really common in our culture. Let me share one other quick story. I had one student who was fluent in two languages, and at the end of the semester, when he handed in his notebook from the notes I'd given in class, He said, uh, Dr. Springer, you speak so rapidly that I have to take your notes down in this other language in which I'm fluent. And so I thanked him, but I thought, you know, I'm not too sure about this explanation. So I took the notebook to another student fluent in his other language. And the student began to read the notebook and began laughing and said, uh, you know, these are letters to his girlfriend, shopping lists, plane ticket information. This isn't a notebook at all. Dishonesty is so common in our culture. I heard about a student at Moody Bible Institute, and they printed this in their magazine, so I guess I can share it with you if it was printed in their magazine. But the student didn't want to go to an evening class, and he told his wife, he was a married student, to bring him a package of frozen fish. And then he lay down in his bed and he threw the frozen fish in the air, and he said, Call my professor tell him I'm flat on my back in bed, and I just threw up my dinner. <laughs> a little bit of a flimsy excuse. Our newspapers and television screens are filled with stories of dishonesty, so it's not just our age group, it's something that permeates our culture. Actresses Felicity Huffman, Lori Loughman didn't think they would get into trouble, cheating to get their kids into the colleges they wanted and yet they're facing jail time and heavy fines because of dishonesty. Selfishness is another big sin in our culture. Did you know that the second largest number of commandments in the Bible are commandments about helping the poor? Second only to the category of putting God first and not worshiping idols? If that's true, all of us need to be involved in helping people who are less fortunate. All of us need to be involved in serving someplace like the Salvation Army or the Boys and Girls Club or outreach to unchurched people through the local church that you attend. All of us need to be giving of our income to help some underprivileged child in another country through some organization like Compassion or helping to stop sex trafficking or helping the persecuted church The Bible calls us to help people who are less fortunate. Jesus began his ministry by saying, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are bruised and oppressed, to proclaim the year of God's grace and God's favor. I've given a couple negative illustrations about students. Let me give you one quick positive one, and there are many, many more positive illustrations that I could give. I had a student named Jesse a few years ago, who was helping in the midweek outreach program to kids at Lakeview Church, and there was a little boy in his program who came up to him one day and said, Jesse, would you be my dad? Because this little boy, I'll call him Benji, that's not his name. Benji didn't have a dad, and Jesse thought for a moment and he said, yes, I'll be your dad. Jesse took Benji out to eat at McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and different places. He played basketball with him. He did, did a lot of things with him, sent him birthday cards, called him on his phone. And even after Jesse moved away and became a kid's pastor at a large church of several thousand in South Dakota, Jesse still stayed in contact with Benji, and Benji grew up to be an outstanding Christian adult because a student like you took time to take an interest in a kid who needed help and said, yes, I'm willing to be your dad. Selfishness is a sin we need to get rid of. Sexual sin is a sin we need to get rid of. Dishonesty, maybe these are the top three that I think of this morning. But Jesus was talking to Peter and saying, Peter, you need to get rid of those things. You need to love me in a way that you deny sin and give it up and begin a new start. Three quick observations in conclusion of the message today. One is that Jesus came looking for Peter. Isn't that interesting? It's just like the Garden of Eden story. We would have thought Adam and Eve after sinning would have gone looking for God, but that's not what happened. God came looking for them. And he said, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? This is the same story repeated in the New Testament. Jesus came looking for Peter, said, Peter, I want to restore you. In fact, one time earlier, Peter said, or Jesus said of Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Jesus was praying for Peter and looking for a place or Peter could be restored completely as a disciple. And then what I mentioned at the outset of the message, Peter didn't get his life together all at once. It was step by step. And I want to encourage you, if you've been discouraged in your faith, if it seems difficult to live the Christian life, think of Peter and how God helped him overcome his difficulties step by step and moment by moment. Don't give up, but reaffirm your faith the same way that Peter did when Jesus confronted him in our scripture lesson today. Then finally, I want to just mention the great influence that Peter had. A few days later after this, Peter is up preaching to thousands of people and 3,000 people become Christians. We wouldn't do that in our churches. We'd say, you've got to wait. Can't, Can't do that yet, Peter. But Peter's up there and a lot of people are born again. Then a little bit after that, Peter goes to a Roman commander's house and the Roman commander becomes a believer and his whole household become believers and Gentiles become ushered into the church, the new church of Christ that's being founded in the book of Acts because of the preaching and obedience of Peter. And then Peter travels around the empire encouraging Christians feeding the sheep that Christ commanded him to in the passage we read. Peter was faithful to Christ after this incident where he reaffirmed his faith. And I like what Andy Stanley says when he's thinking about this. Andy Stanley says, you know, I'd like to bring Peter back a few centuries later because Peter is taken to his execution, which Jesus had predicted in this chapter of John I'd like to take Peter back and walk him down the same road that he walked on his way to his crucifixion. I'd like to take him a few centuries later and show him all the crosses on buildings sticking up around the very highway that he walked to be killed. I'd like to take him back a few centuries later, Andy Stanley says, and show him that the most beautiful building that could be imagined, maybe the most beautiful building in the world, has been built on the site of the Roman circus, the very place where so many Christians were executed, there's that beautiful building dedicated to the Savior that you served. And Andy Stanley says, I'd like to tell him that someday in the future, people are going to name, people all over the world are going to name their sons, Peter and Paul. And they're going to name their dogs, Nero and Caesar you know things have changed quite a bit Peter had a world-changing influence because he reaffirmed his faith and his love for Jesus today there are 1.5 million followers of Christ even though there were just a few thousand at the time Peter was executed many people have read his story many people have read his letters And many people have decided to reaffirm their faith and say, Lord, I love you. I love you more than these. And maybe the reason the word these is unclear in its reference in the Greek language is so that you and I can apply it to whatever competes with our love for Christ in our lives, in our culture today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'd like you to think about this message for just a few moments with me just in a couple moments of quiet reflection, I'd like you to imagine that Jesus is standing on the shore of the Lake of Galilee, not with Peter, but with you. Just kind of think about that for a moment or two with me. Jesus is standing there with you, and he's asking you the question that he asked Peter. He's asking, do you love me more than these Do you really love me? Do you love me more than your vocational plans? Do you love me more than your favorite form of entertainment? Do you love me more than the sins that you hold on to and have trouble releasing? Jesus is asking you that question today, even though you're not standing by the shore of Galilee. That question is his question to you, and the question, I believe, that he's asked me to ask you today. Lord, I pray you'd help all of us to answer like Peter did, and thoughtfully say, yes, Lord, I do love you more than these I'm willing to give up any vocational plans that conflict with your will. I'm willing to give up any entertainment that's keeping me from being all that I should be for my family, my friends, and for my service to God and my fellow man. I'm willing to give up any sin that's keeping me from your presence and your blessing and your eternal plans for my life. Lord, help us all today to say, yes, I love you more than these. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.